Well, it's springtime. So they say. That means my allergies go into high gear. So I never know exactly how much voice I'm going to have. I didn't have enough voice to sing the songs this morning. That was very, very distressing to me because they were such good songs, weren't they? Oh, really good songs, and I wanted to sing them full voice and be into it, but I just had to listen to Mackenzie sing in my left ear. And she sings off tune. <laughs> thought Pastor Mark and Becky's song... Just so true, isn't it? God could change it all with one word. We know he could. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't choose to do that, we're going to still choose to trust him. And that's the way it ought to be. It's a choice we have to make. Well, we're in the last week of our marriage series, our life and marriage series, principles for life and marriage, finding these clues for life and marriage that God leaves in his word Cindy and I lived downtown for years. We live outside of town out here right now, outside the village, but we lived right downtown, and the houses are packed in down there. You knew what was happening in every house all around you. And one morning, Cindy said to me, you know the new neighbors we have? And I said, yeah. And she said, he gives her a kiss every morning when he leaves for work. Why don't you do that? I said, I don't even know her. That didn't go over well. <laughs> you learn around along the way. Cindy and I went to a street fair, you know, a craft show kind of thing. They had streets blocked off in this big part. It was huge. I don't know where this was. It was huge, though. And we're walking through this thing, and we come across this stand that's selling drinks. And she says, you thirsty? You want to get something? And I said, no, I'm fine. So we walked on. When we got way down, I mean way down at the other end, when there were no little places around that had anything to drink, she said to me, I wish we would have stopped back there. I'm thirsty. And I said, well, why didn't you say you were thirsty? I would have stopped if you said you wanted to get something to drink. And she said, I asked you if you were thirsty. And I said, so? And she said, I thought you would ask me back. <laughs> men are slow. Ladies in the room, if you haven't figured this out, men are slow. And <laughs> we already know this, men, but women are weird. Why didn't she just say she was thirsty? Doesn't that make more sense? Just say it straight out. No, they got to do a hint. You know how that is. Well, God's not handing these giving directives. Here we go. You got your notes? Not all marriages survive. Some just endure. But some thrive. Not all marriages survive. We know that. We don't know what the stat is. A lot of times they say 50% don't make it. That's not true because they're counting second and third marriages in there. But clearly, 
Not all marriages survive. But some just endure. However, there's another category of marriages, and they really thrive. They have, they're great marriages. Why? Why is that? Well, I suggest two reasons. Number one, commitment. Commitment. The ones that don't survive weren't built on a firm commitment. I read a marriage quote this week, and it said, Good marriages are just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. That's kind of cute, and I see some of you nodding your head. It's not true, though. Commitment doesn't necessarily get you a good marriage. It just gets you a marriage that endures. But lots of people have marriages that just endure. They're not good. Commitment only takes you so far. What's the second thing? The second reason, the one that gets us a step farther, I would suggest it's contentment. You say contentment, yeah, contentment. That's what we're talking about today. It's the last command that God gives in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He says, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire in your neighbor's house or land as manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The command is you shall not covet. Jesus saw the danger of it. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed or covetousness. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so I ask, why end the list this way? I ask this as my first question today. Why end the list? You know, the Ten Commandments. Why end it this way? You know, commandment number one, we should have no other gods. Priorities determine devotion. We should make no idols. Images, what we think, affects our behavior. Number three, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Respect can be heard. Honor the Sabbath day. Schedules are important. Honor your father and mother. Respect God-given authority. Do not murder. Don't deliberately hurt others. Do not commit adultery. Purity must be protected. Do not steal. Money is dangerous. Do not lie. Trust demands truthfulness. Then do not covet. Why? Why end the list this way? Here we go in your notes. To show us that sin's also internal. We've been talking about this, but, but we've been talking this, about this from the New Testament, where Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 5. But this command reminded them, back in the Old Testament, that sin is also thought and desire. It's not only action. Well, I didn't say it, I just thought it. Now, that won't cut it with God. That, that, won't, that won't cut it. That's not right either. Number two, to clarify, he put this last to clarify that one sin leads to another. That covetousness, of course it could lead to adultery if we desire somebody else's spouse. Of course it could lead to stealing if we desire something that's not us. Or even lying to get what we want. One sin leads to another. Number three, I think he put it in here to reveal how sinful we really are. 
Because I think at first glance, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you could decide, well, I, I keep all those. But when you get to number ten, well, then we have to slow down. Don't covet. Think, well, I probably struggle with that one sometimes. Even if we don't do something, God's looking at our hearts, at our motives, and at our attitudes. Then question number two. What, what's it mean to covet? I think we have to start right there, right at the beginning. What's it mean to covet? Well, it means, number one, to desire something that's not rightfully ours. I think it's interesting when, when God put this in his word, he said, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's the first thing he put there is that this relates to marriage. I'm not sure if we were writing this, if we would have written it that way, that God did. He wanted us to know that this command applies to marriage. So he said, do not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's house or their new truck or their last vacation to Hawaii or their new job or their new iPhone 10 or their big flat screen TV. You say, I, I didn't see that in there while I was giving you the McNeil translation. Why, why shouldn't we covet those things? Because they're not rightfully ours. That's why, they're our neighbors. Number two, coveting means to desire the wrong thing. It's not ours. In the wrong way, at the wrong time, for the wrong reason. None of it's honoring to God when we do this. Number three, coveting is the opposite of contentment. That's why when I started I said, we need contentment in our marriages because coveting is the opposite of contentment. Contentment is satisfaction. And number four, coveting is dissatisfaction. It's dissatisfaction and disappointment gone too far. And by the way, the illustration God uses, God specifically mentions our neighbor's wife. So he says, hey, make sure you don't covet somebody else's wife. And he's assuming that we'll develop contentment with our own, with our own spouse. So how do you know if it's not happening? How do you know if you're not content with your spouse? Here we go. Number one, when you're increasingly dissatisfied. Increasingly dissatisfied. You know, this happens in marriage. Things you liked at the beginning, you don't like after a while. Oh, he's so much fun. Now all he does is want to play. Oh, she's so bubbly, and now she never shuts up. We get dissatisfied. Number two, increasingly negative about our spouse. Never do their share. They're always gone. Number three, we're increasingly critical to our spouse. If you focus on what you don't like, or you can focus on what brings you together. It's all about focus. We get increasingly critical. You're just like your mother. Can't you just put it back where you found it? Why can't you just stay home for one weekend? If you'd ever let me know what you're thinking, just critical. And number four, increasingly complaining about our spouse. Oh, another headache figures. 
I'd like to spend time time with my friends too, you know. You never want to do anything. All you want to do is watch sports. Or you never want to do anything. All you want to do is watch Hallmark. <laughs> At least the sports, you don't know how it ends. <laughs> Just saying. So our principle on coveting, we've tried to get a principle on every one of these. Our principle on coveting is this. We need to reject coveting and develop contentment. We need to reject coveting and develop contentment. So contentment, to remind us, is to be satisfied and happy and grateful. So how do we develop it? How do you develop contentment? I think when we start, most of us are satisfied. You know, when we first get married. Discontentment develops. Well, how, how do we develop contentment? What are some action steps we can take? Here we go. Number one, accept them. Let's just accept them. I asked this a couple weeks ago, but let me ask again. How many of you have been married 10 years or more? Let me see your hands. All the way across the room. Okay, put your hands down. If your spouse is here, just take a look at them. That's about as good as it's going to get. I, I'm just saying, we need to accept them. Which means this, in your notes, number one, perhaps it's time to adjust to reality. You've been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. This is what you got. Perhaps it's time just to adjust to reality, to bring our expectations in to reality. Number two, accept what will not change. Now, I want you to notice I did not say cannot change. I said will not change. Because here's the deal. If you've been married 10 years or more, what you got is probably what it is. And they're probably not going to change. If, if he's not classy by now, he's probably not going to get classy. I'm just telling you. If he doesn't pick up his junk by now, he's probably not picking it up. If your wife doesn't have everything spick and span, if she's a messy, she's probably going to be a messy. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There are some people, you go in their houses, they're spick and span clean. I mean, they're clean. You could eat off the floor. There's other people you don't want to eat off the table. I don't know what you got, but probably what you got is what you're going to get if it's been 20 years. This might be time to adjust expectations to reality if you want to find contentment. We've got to accept what will not change. I told you this. I, somebody in this church, they had a daughter who reached up and popped a paring knife off the counter and hit her in the eye. I, I heard that story. And so that, that made sense to me that that could happen. Then I noticed that we had knives sitting all the time on the edge of the counter. So I said to Cindy, 
why don't you not put those on the edge of the counter? But here's the deal. There's a glitch in there somewhere. <laughs> because this seems obvious to me that you wouldn't do this. But it didn't many how, matter how many times I said to her, hey, put that knife back. Even if I said it with a little... Like, did you hear what happened? I would come out there and find knives on the edge of the counter. And finally, I just decided, not because I'm so bright, because I read it in a book. I read a guy in a book who said something like this, and he said, I just decided I would be the knife pusher backer. I just decided I would be too. So I walk in the kitchen, if I see knives, I just push them back and I don't say anything. Then after a while, I noticed that she left them on the counter and she left them so the blade was straight up. That, like, takes effort to balance them perfectly. But I didn't even bother trying to tell her to lay them down. I thought, well, I can just lay them down when I'm pushing them back. Say, why? Because some things are not going to change. And I say, are there any of these on your, your side? Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Number three, stop trying to change them. You say, well, that's a spouse's job. You got a verse for that? Like Hezekiah 4, 6, thou shalt change thy spouse. <laughs> Is there a verse in this? Because I, I want to suggest to you I haven't seen it. You say, well, that's, that's our job to change them. I want to suggest it's our job to love them. We'd be better off working on that instead of trying to play the Holy Spirit like we're trying out to be the fourth member of the Trinity. That's not really our job. Number four, if God loves them, I can love them. I think we ought to just say this to ourselves. If God loves them the way they are, I can love them the way they are. I mean, He's perfect and He loves them. We're not even perfect. We should be able to love them. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. It's kind of a good match. Remember, number five, it's impossible to criticize and practice contentment. Here's the truth. It's impossible to be criticizing and practicing contentment at the same time. There's very little contentment in some marriages because there's loads of criticism. They just don't work together. Number one, accept them. Number two, forgive them. If we want to develop contentment, we have to forgive them. For what? Well, for their failures and faults. And we all have them. Everyone has them. Why? We're, we're, we're sinful human beings. Now we know. We know this how this works. Number one, you just have to let it go. Just have to let it go. This is a choice. Just let it go. Forgiveness is not just a statement. Well, I said I forgive them. That, that's, that is not forgiveness. That's just the start of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a process. And it includes at least two actions. Number one, don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Going to forgive them? Don't bring this up anymore. Just let it go. And number two, don't think about it. Number two is harder than number one. Don't bring it up to them or anybody else. Just don't talk about it anymore. Just let it go. That's what forgiveness is. I'm going to forgive you for this. It means I'm going to let it go. And it means I'm not going to think about it over and over and consider how bad it was and how hurtful it was and how stupid it was and how awful it was and how ridiculous it was and how mean it was. 
I'm not going to just keep running it around in my mind. We're just going to have to let a lot of stuff go. So you know this old story about this lady who was 50 years old and she's talking to her grandkids and talking about how her marriage, and they all know she's got a great marriage. And they said, Grammy, how do you have such a great marriage? She said, well, when we first got married, I made a list of 10 things that I would just wouldn't give him any trouble about. I just let those 10 things go. I'd overlook them for the sake of our marriage. And she said, every time he made me hopping mad, I'd say, lucky for him, that's on the list. <laughs> and the grandkids said, can we see the list? And she said, ah, I never made it. Exactly. That's this. Just choose to let it go. Why? Because number two, it's impossible to hold a grudge and practice contentment. It's a hindrance to contentment. You can't hold grudges and have contentment. Number three, we need to appreciate them. It's a simple truth. Number one, the more thankful we are, the more contented we will be. This is true with your spouse. The more thankful we are about our spouse, the more contented with our spouse we will be. It's also true with your car, your job, your house. It's true with everything. The more thankful you are for your job, the more contented you will be with your job. The more thankful you are for your car, for your truck, the more thankful you are for your house, the more thankful you are for your spouse, the more contented you will be. So underneath there, every time you come up with something you're thankful for, and if you really, if your marriage is not hitting on every cylinder right now, if I told you to write down a list in the margin of ten things that you're really thankful for about your spouse, some of you would say, oh man, my word, I can't come up with ten. Well, just take the first one and then get three uses out of it. Here we go. Number one, tell God how thankful you are. Tell God how thankful you are that they do this. Number two, tell them how thankful you are that they do this. And number three, tell someone else, like their mother. Tell somebody else. And you get three uses, that triple play. You get three uses out of every compliment. And here's why we're doing it. Number two, it's impossible to complain and be content. Complaining destroys contentment. Destroys it. If you're struggling in your marriage right now and you're not content and you know it as I'm talking this morning, you know you're not content, then I want to challenge you first of all to start being thankful. Be thankful. By the way, if you aren't content with your kids, be thankful. And kids, if you aren't thankful with your parents, start being thankful for your parents. Number four, trust God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, He will keep him in perfect peace. That sounds like contentment to me. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I'm just going to point this out. I'm not going to talk about it a long time. Discontentment is ultimately dissatisfaction with God. Does everybody in this room get this? When we're discontented, we're dissatisfied with God. You say, I don't see the connection. If God's sovereign, if he's in control, and he is, if he works out everything in conformity with his plan, and he does, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, then ultimately, if we're dissatisfied with something in our life, we're dissatisfied with the plan of God. Every bit of dissatisfaction is ultimately, ultimately, in the end, it's dissatisfaction with God. So number two, we must choose to be satisfied with God's sovereignty. 
Choose to be satisfied with God's sovereignty. The, the house we live in, because that's the house God gave us. The life we have, because that's the life God gave us. The spouse we have, because that's the spouse God gave us. We need to be satisfied with God's sovereignty. And I'll just throw this out here. Contentment does not equal laziness. doesn't equal laziness. If we can work and improve, if we can grow, if we can change a job and find a more fulfilling job, it's perfectly okay. But sometimes it becomes clear that God isn't giving us something else. Like when you're married to somebody. It's pretty clear that God isn't giving you someone else. You're married to them. And he says, whom God has joined together, let no man... What is it? If whom God has joined together, let no man... Put asunder. It's pretty clear. Number five. Be friends with your spouse. Friendship fosters contentment. Most people like their friends. Do you know that? That's why they're friends. I don't think this is rocket science to you in the room. Most people like their friends. That's why they're friends. If they didn't like them, they'd find some other friends. But a lot of couples aren't friends. I observe marriages. I've been a pastor for quite a while. I observe marriages. And a lot of marriages, the two people aren't friends. They might love each other, but they don't like each other very much. I watch this. Then I hear young people say this, well, I could never marry them because they're my friend. Think, what are you, an idiot? I say that as gently as I can. Are you nuts? If you luck out and you find somebody of the opposite sex that is truly your friend, that would be a perfect person to marry. You're already friends. It's better if you marry your friend than if you don't marry your friend. Can I get some people in this room to agree with me? It's a lot better. Cindy and I were friends before we got married. We were friends before we started dating. It's one reason I wanted to date her, because she was so much fun. She also looked good in a bathing suit, but that's another story. I don't... I don't think I should bring that up. <laughs> it was an orange two-piece, but I digress. I digress. You say, well, it was a probably tankini. They weren't invented in the 60s. You say, well, this wasn't in the 60s. No, it was in the early 70s. <laughs> and, and we just had a lot of fun together. Before we ever dated, we had fun together. We took a chemistry class together with a guy named Mr. Rinker. Mr. What's his name? Rinkus. <laughs> Mr. Rinkus. That was a fun name. I had a lot of fun with that name. We had a chemistry teacher's name was Mr. Rinkus. I don't know why, but this classroom, he had had two doors to it. 
And he always came in one door. And Cindy and I started a game where we would go down to that door, and when he came, just as he got there, we would lock it. <laughs> and then he'd look at us through the glass window. <laughs> and then this old guy, <laughs> he'd run to the other door. <laughs> but we were young. <laughs> And we could beat him to the other door. And when he got there, we were already standing there. And we'd go, click. <laughs> we affectionately called him the old goat. Not entirely sure he liked that name, but it was, it was affectionate on our part. There was a little room inside the room where you could go back in and <laughs> and he had supplies back in there for chemistry and that room was locked. But he would open it and then he'd go in there. Sometimes, believe it or not, Mr. Rinkus would take his keys out, open that door, push it open and toss his keys on the desk. And we'd get the keys and lock him in the storage room. Cindy was a lot of fun. I'm telling you, she was. I wanted to date her because she was fun, fun, fun. And she looked good in that, you know, but, but I digress. Being friends with your spouse, that's a lot better thing. We were friends before we started dating. That's a good thing. Now we've been married a long time. I don't know how long. 40 to 40... How many years? Almost 42. It's coming up. Time really moves when you're having fun. I can't remember. I can't even remember what day we got married on. She can't either half the time. One year we were outside working in the yard and her mother called and wished us a happy anniversary. <laughs> we just looked at each other like, I said, you forgot. <laughs> you did too. No, I had plans to take you out to eat tonight. It's good to date somebody that you're friends with and to make a friendship in your marriage. If you aren't working on your friendship, you should. Some of you know right now you're not working on it. In truth, some of you know right now you're not friends with your spouse. You don't got any connecting points. There's nothing you do that you like together. You're just co-parents. business partners, roommates with benefits. You say, you can't say that. Too late. But you're not friends. And here's the thing. Friendship fosters contentment. Yes, it does. Young people, find a friend. A good Christian friend. That's a good person to marry. Make them a friend for all your life. That's good. Let's stand together.
when guys in the room, if they look good in a bathing suit, that's just a bonus. But it is a bonus. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that in your word you've told us things that help us have better marriages. So, Father, you've given us these ten principles, and I pray that you will help us to put them into action in our lives. And, Father, some of us, we're not very content right now. We're discontented. But we could change that if we would begin to do these actions. So I pray that you will help us to begin to do them this week to honor you and to make our marriages better. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.